approving the summary um, from the last meeting, November 14th. With it. Rick, you good with it? Yep. Okay. Then we're good with it. And now we're already on to item number four. And by the way, there's already been a request if we could have this meeting done by 1030. I don't know if that's possible, but there has been a request for that. Uh, we need to do what we need to do, but if possible, um, that has been requested. So we'll move on to the finance reports. Um, do I start off with our general manager, Anatabwe, or? I believe uh, those have been included in the board packet um, and the materials of the agenda. So nothing um, additional to report unless you have any questions for Carrie or myself. Questions? No. Hey, Carrie, it looked like maybe you had something you wanted. Oh, no, I thought no. I saw your. Oh, no, I'm You sorry. wanted to get my attention. Okay. <laughs> no, no, thank you. Just wanted to be available in case I were. <laughs> okay. So we're quickly on to item number five, and we'll move on to the uh, a workshop on water rates. Uh, I'm assuming we send it over to Adnan. Sure. Good morning. I'll be quick here. Um, this is uh, a workshop, so no action um, is being uh, asked to be recommended from this committee to the board at this time. It's only to explain, um, you know, how the agency looks at uh, developing and um, <clears throat> making its recommendation for water rate for the coming year. Um, that's usually, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, my throat. <clears throat> that's usually adopted by February, I want to say, of the preceding fiscal year. Um, just to um, uh, give you a sense of timing. So this is just informational at this point. With that, I'll kick it off to Carrie. Great introduction by General Anatobway. Joe Manager Anatobway, thank, thank you I, so I've much. I've got to say something. Maybe it's been here before, but I just noticed the, the dollar sign in the water there. If, that's, if you guys have had that before, I hadn't noticed, but I noticed this morning. Whoever did that, that's great. Oh, yeah, I, I will have to give credit to, to Lynn Chamowitz on that. I did borrow that from her yeah, last year. I never <laughs> noticed that before. Uh, so the agenda today, we're going to go over the revenue and uh, where does the revenue go and who pays for the water rates, the expenses, uh, what expenses do the water rates cover, and then just some trends um, with, the, with the water rates over the years and where we see them going. So just for a little background, uh, the main philosophy is that customers pay the water rates to cover the costs associated with bringing in the water to our service area. Uh, it is supposed to be over a long-term break-even um, propos uh, proposition with the structure and amount able to change. Uh, customer demands and the costs on water fluctuate uh, from year to year, so it can be um, a, a balancing act with that. Uh, to decrease the burden on the customers, we do maintain a rate stabilization fund or a reserve fund, um, and this helps to smooth out the rates uh, in order to avoid any significant increases and help the other agencies with their budgeting. Um, although some reserves have built up, as you can see on the far right, um, we do anticipate some higher DWR costs, and so those reserves will help maintain um, any large swings in those rates. I did want to go ahead and show our bucket illustration for our fund structures. Um, the revenue is reflected in the water droplets and the expenses are reflected in the buckets. Uh, the third bucket is where the water sales and the re reliability revenue go into. Uh, that revenue is used to purchase water as well as pay the Dudley Ridge debt. Uh, I do want to point out that the DWR fixed costs are paid out of the first bucket. Um, and with our taxes. So the DWR variable charges, this is the power that it takes to get the water over the Tehachapi's. 
uh, to our service area, that is what um, is paid with our water rates. So the water rates are broken into two separate revenue line items in the budget. Uh, we have the water sales, which is net of the reliability assessment. Uh, this is calculated using the customer demands uh, for water and what it will require to cover the DWR variable cost of importing that water. And the reliability assessment, um, this is what's, again, to cover our Dudley Ridge debt service payments. Oh, just jump in. So um, on that, when we look at the year to date, do we usually get this revenue in a larger chunk, like in the spring when everyone's paying their their assessments? Or um, th this, uh, they, the water rates are or sales are charged monthly to each of our customers. So this is a a monthly revenue that does come in and changes. Um, so you'll see this. This does come to PFST monthly and then to the board quarterly. Um, so we we would do see those change monthly. Okay, so we're sig would you say we're significantly lower, or are we on track right now? Uh, we are, I would say, on track right now. Okay, thank you. There, there are a few customers, you know, that may take, um, you know, a, a portion of it more up front versus later in the year, um, but I would say we're on track for now. So with that, our uh, rate-paying customers are the R-Cube customers. So these are the um, Victorville, Hesperia, and Atalanto. Um, our Watermaster customers, uh, they pay the importation charges of the water um, if they exceed their free production allowance. Uh, so Watermaster really is a, a pass-through uh, for paying that rate. Our IDM customers, these are the ones on the uh, Morongo Basin Pipeline. AVEC and then construction water ca uh, customers. Uh, this doesn't happen very often, but these would be ones that uh, don't pay taxes in our service area. So the expenses that the water rates cover, uh, the water sales that covers uh, the DWR delivery charges, again, that's the variable transportation costs, as well as the off-aqueduct power charges. Um, and then once again, this is not, it does not include any of the fixed costs associated with um, DWR. The reliability assessment, again, pays the Dudley Ridge debt service. And then the power costs, uh, those, that is to cover the local pumping power costs. Uh, so for the IDM customers, this would be the pump stations on the Morongo pipeline. And then the R-Cube customers, these are the wells um, to, to get the water to them. So this graph shows some trends that we project uh, in the water sales. Um, what we anticipate is the blue line, and then the orangish line is what actually happened. Uh, there is an inverse relationship between the pumping and the reliability charge. So as pumping decreases, uh, the reliability charge would increase and vice versa. Um, as you can see on the far right, again, uh, we do have a slight increase in the, uh, for the last couple of years. The main driver for this is the Watermaster customers, um, and this is mainly due to the Alt Alto sub-area uh, where the uh, ramp down has decreased uh, the available free production allowance, which has then increased the rela uh, replacement charge, or um, in other words, the, the demand uh, for purchasing water. So this is um, a history and a forecast of the water rates. Uh, the reliability charge is in the red, 
And as you can see, that has kind of been decreasing a little bit. Um, again, that is a reflection of the increase in the water purchases. Um, but for the most part, the, the rates um, have, have stayed fairly flat. So these are the preliminary water rates for fiscal year 24-25. Um, the IDM and High Desert Power Plant, uh, their variable transportation is $350 per acre foot with a reliability charge of uh, $215 for a base variable rate of $565 per acre foot. Uh, the only difference is the IDM, their local power costs of uh, $63, so they're slightly higher than the others. The uh, R-cubed pipe pipeline is $170 per acre foot. Again, this is the average cost of energy, um, so we, we do really focus on keeping that as the average cost, but as energy has increased, um, that has slightly increased the, the cost going out onto that Morongo pipeline. And then AVEC, they're um, a little bit higher up in the system, so their uh, variable transportation rate is a little bit lower at $320 an acre foot. Same reliability charge uh, for total variable rate of $535. So for Watermaster customers, um, the again, the variable transportation rate at $350 with a reliability charge of $215 for a total variable of $565. Um, each year we do try to keep those rates within 2 to 10%, um, so not increasing any more than 2 or 10%. Um, last year the lower end was set at $596, so we do see that that's coming in a little bit lower than what we even anticipated last year. So again, uh, the actual rate proposals and action items will be coming in January, PFST, as uh, well as a recommendation for the board adoption in, in February. Um, but available if there's any questions or suggestions. I just wanted to add before we kick it off to discussion that um, energy is one of the most, probably the most, one of the most volatile uh, cost pieces that we look at when it comes to state water project. Um, uh, we saw last or this year with a 100% allocation and, and plenty of water in the system, you expect to see a lower variable rate. We saw it around $300 an acre foot. Um, and um, if, it was an, if it was an average year, we'd expect that to be maybe $350, $370 from the department. And so this plays into some of the discussion we're having about rate stabilization. We don't want to push that shock onto uh, the rate payers, and we want to be able to absorb changes. Uh, we also see some future um, risk associated with the um, energy portfolio converting over to renewables. Um, that's a big lift for the state water project. Um, so we'll continue to track that, but we see that this is a, you know, an area we'll be paying close attention to because um, the state is seeing a lot of increases to power across the board, and, and we're going to see a lot of that happen in the state water project because of uh, law that's been passed uh, related to energy procurement. So. I just wanted to lay that as a kind of a, a bigger picture context. On that note, I just think it's always important to point out, I know everyone in this room knows it, but the general public just doesn't understand that, at least right now, the State Water Project is the bigger, biggest user of electricity in the state of California. I don't know if that's changing with electric vehicles, if they're looking um, at that, but um, a lot of people have no idea that that's what the cost of getting water down and why it's so expensive and that because of renewables, it's going up. And I think that's just something that uh, we need to just regularly communicate um, and message um, 
how power and water um, go together and not just in the LA Water and Power Department, that it really is uh, getting water down here. So just, just encouraged to get that message out. Thank you. So again, this is a workshop, no action items. Um, but yeah, if there's no further questions. And Rick. No, nothing, thank you. You have nothing? Thank you, Gary. Else, Kimberly? Well, I think it's good to note that we had projected a lower end of 596 for the water year and we're at 565. I think that's, that's a great point to note. Oh, okay. good job. Thank Everyone's you. good with this workshop. Mm -hmm. Okay, then we're moving on. Thank you very much. So we're on to item number six, and that's an update on ordinance, ordinance number 14, submissions and collections. I'll go right over to Carrie for this one. Okay. Thank you so much. So, yes, as we're receiving um, the property tax revenue starting to come in, um, I figured it'd be a good point to go ahead and just kind of update on ordinance 14 since this is the first year that we uh, have started these collections through the county. So Ordinance 14 is an ordinance of Mojave Water Agency for the regulation of minimal producers and establishing the minimal producer program. Um, it was established to manage the groundwater basin sustainability and to collect funds to help replenish the basin. Uh, the ordinance it defines the minimal producers, and these are producers using 10 acre feet or less of water per year uh, that are not stipulated with the judgment. Uh, it, was established, it also established a minimal producer fee um, to those that were issued a new well um, permit that was approved by the county, and they will be charged one acre feet of water annually. The ordinance was adopted um, April 14th of 2022, and it became effective July 1st of 2022. Uh, the collection process is similar to the property tax um, and is collected as a special assessment. The first assessments were submitted to the county in August of 2023 and uh, for any of the new well permits that were approved by the county from July, 20, July 1st, 2022 to June 30th, 2023. Uh, there were 58 parcels that were reported and assessed at $584 an acre foot for a total of $34,000. Uh, the funds collected can be used to purchase supplemental water uh, to, to manage um, the Mojave Basin or recharge the basin. But other than that, that is the, the update that I have. Um, and again, available if there's any questions concerning that. Dr. Cox. Oh, I'm just thrilled to see this uh, in place. Uh, I think it's equitable uh, for those users to help contribute to the overall solution. Um, and I think it's important to note that this 585 is in addition to the property taxes that they <laughs> Looking forward to seeing this uh, this program growing. Nothing, Rick. No. Okay, so I've just got a couple things. Um, one, have we gotten any pushback from those that have had to pay this? Uh, have we gotten any nasty calls or nasty notes, or were they all expecting it? Um, I haven't heard of any nasty calls or um, questions on why they're paying it, so I'm assuming um, the notifications that went out advising them of it were, were sufficient. So a couple other things about us even talking about this today. One, thank you, because at least for myself, I forget about some of this, and it's a great reminder, and that you made it short. 
it wasn't one where we spent a half hour on something, but this was a great reminder. Just uh, really appreciate that you brought it up and that we didn't, we didn't have to spend a lot of time, but it's like, oh, remind how this is working and how it worked out. Um, we have a number of things that come across, and I just, I frankly uh, just go on to the next thing, and sometimes I have to be reminded. So I really appreciate this as, as just one director. So thank you. Um, there's nothing else, no other questions. We will move on to item number seven, and now we're going to uh, discuss adopting updates to the agency's employee pay schedule for this year that if we did, it would be effective July 1, 2023. I think that's real important to know as we discuss this. Good morning. Thank you. I'm having some technical difficulties. I don't know if I can. <clears throat> Just a moment here, please. Well, as they do that, I'm going to. I didn't check if it was on, though. Maybe I should have checked if it was on. Oh, thanks. Okay, good morning. This is, a, um, this is an item that's near and dear to my heart in terms of what I've been thinking about a lot recently. Uh, last month at PFST, a, I had a workshop discussing some staff, staffing and uh, class concepts with this uh, committee. Um, this is the further uh, conversation, but it includes a recommendation which would make a modification to the salary plan adopted by the agency, which is a requirement of PERS. Um, and so uh, I wanted to walk through that. Uh, I will note that there's two parts to this recommendation and this discussion. The first related to the addition of new uh, classifications to the salary schedule, um, consistent with the discussion had last month in the workshop. Um, the second is a new item, um, and that's related to uh, compensation uh, resulting from a merit increase for those closer to the top of the pay range. So I'll walk through those separately. Um, they both have implications that, that would require a change to the salary plan, the salary schedule adopted by this board. And so um, that's why this conversation is held, held together, but they're distinctly different pieces. So um, I'll walk through uh, the first part here. Um, and I'll start with a recap of the discussion from last month. Talked about a distinct technical path for the agency and its classifications. So the typical challenge was um, uh, starting off in a particular job series, start at the one, eventually progress to a two, and then potentially a senior level of that classification. Um, then you were sort of forced to have to go into supervision and management, um, which was uh, you know, not everyone's uh, uh, personal preference in terms of their career progression. Maybe they're not great at it. And second of, and the other piece, that opportunity is not always available within an agency, especially with an agency of our size. And so the idea here is to add distinct technical levels uh, beyond the senior level across the board in a template fashion. And speaking of template, um, one thought was to develop a concept where uh, these series would be templatized and consistent across the board. Um, so while you have three types of series, the administrative assistant, the technician and specialist, and the professional, um, you would have this standardized level uh, structure within each uh, uh, series. And this would be across the board for all um, uh, classification series. Um, this is going to add a lot more positions to the salary plan. The intent is not to fill those positions uh, if they don't need to be filled. The discussion of the needs 
uh, staffing needs of the agency um, at any given point in time is a budget discussion. So I want to make sure it's clear that these additions provides flexibility, it provides additional structure and placeholders. It's like the color palette you have to work with for the agency to be successful. But you don't necessarily need to use all the colors at the same time to, to, to paint a picture. And so every year as part of the budgeting discussion, um, we'll have an intentional discussion with each of the departments to understand what it takes, what, it, what it's going to require to be uh, successful in that department, and um, they'll have a bigger um, color palette to pull from for that discussion. And third, um, uh, this was, uh, I, I spoke to this already, but the real intent here is to make sure that we can find the right person for the right job. And um, to provide more flexibility so that we're successful in that endeavor, um, applying this template concept but creating new series and classifications that uh, speak to particular individuals or that the, the job requirements at a particular time is, is very helpful to have. Um, we have, we've, uh, if we keep the consistent or if we have the same positions we've had for decades um, and we're not having an intentional effort to look and say, is that the right types of classifications we need in today's world or in the future, um, we may be missing part of that discussion. And so uh, you'll see here um, as I go on the next few slides, some of those series that I've uh, added to this list based on current conversations and expected future needs that may come about. Any questions before I advance here? So first, in terms of the new levels and an existing classification, these classification series we already have, but we just don't have the level spread out um, uh, consistent with the template concept I described. Um, and this, for these five classification series, we don't have a lead. Um, these were these are technician specialist series, uh, which a an, an lead position would be added or lead level rather um, would be added for them. And then for the professional series, uh, the data analyst, engineer, water resource analyst, hydrogeologist, and making sure there's a principal and a chief level. Chief is going to be kind of that pinnacle technical level, going to be a very rare designation. Um, and um, in no way is it intended to suggest that we need to have a chief in each of these uh, series at any given time. Yes, question. And I, I just wanted to emphasize that the way I understand this, just because we have these, we're not going to feel like we have to fill them. Um, employees aren't necessarily thinking that, um, oh, that's what I'm going to get someday. It's it's really going to be just the needs of the agency and then um, what, what we need to do or not do um, gives us a lot of flexibility. That's right. This is, an, you know, this is one of those things, one, we want to identify that there is, um, there is higher level and higher value work um, later on in one's career that could uh, aspire to be in these levels. The needs of the agency at any given time they fluctuate, they change. And so this discussion is had um, with respect to the strategic plan of the agency. It's also had in, during the budget discussion about the resources one needs to accomplish what it sets out to do, um, specifically uh, by the department level. And so this provides additional flexibility to staff and grow your staff as needed to be effective there. Um, it's not to suggest that's where everyone ends up. These are going to be very intentional levels, just like we have with our current levels. Um, there's very explicit descriptions of expectations at each level. And the needs of an individual at that level are discussed with one supervisor. 
um, uh, common way that one advances in their career is they work with their supervisors about goal setting. And that goal setting is done in an intentional way to produce value for the agency and for the department. And that helps craft one's career, but also make sure that, that uh, the work being done is, is contributing to what the, the success of the agency. So this is all a very intentional process. It's not where someone feels like they're promised a position just because they've been here a long time. No, the intent here is not that. It okay. is to signal. Um, it, I mean, there is part of it is signal there is, there is potential here. Um, for growth, but this needs to be, an, again, an intentional conversation with one supervisor to grow and, and map that out for them. It's great um, if they can that. achieve that and it Correct. meets our needs, but it's not a guarantee. Right. Okay. I have a question, Mike, real quick. <clears throat> Jump in. Uh, do you see, at this, at the, as we sit here today, do you see a need for any of these positions for filled immediately? Like, as uh, no, not at this, not at this point in time. So this is, this is the, this is working on the structure, and discussions need to be had between myself, department heads, um, and current staffing and current needs for that to even develop in that direction. But um, this is just kind of getting ready for, um, for that potential conversation. We do, what we don't want to have is uh, someone who could provide, be providing, I'll take an example here, but be providing um, a great um, value to the agency as potentially this chief or senior principal level technical level. We can see the value and the work that could be produced, and they've um, achieved that level. We don't want to export them elsewhere that'll, that'll uh, recognize that value, and um, we lose that asset. Um, I, my preference would be to have a, a way to keep and retain those high performers, those high value producers, especially if it makes sense for the agency to do so. so. Okay, great. Thank you. Next slide. Uh, this is uh, new, cl new classifications entirely using the template. Um, and uh, for the technician specialist series, database administrator, data specialist, engineering technician, GIS technician, and legislative specialist. Quite a few of these are, 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 are quite well related to existing classifications, but ones like the legislative specialist are, are pretty distinct. Um, and so um, these additions would, would have that series laid out and added to the salary schedule. For the professional series, um, financial analyst, water resources scientist, management analyst, and legislative analyst um, would be added as well. I will say these are the current discussions, current thoughts about potential positions that could make sense for the agency. Providing a template at templatized way of going about this ensures that we're consistent in how we apply this for any given series in the future. So um, I've, I've sort of snarked at this comment before, but you know, we're, we've got an interesting time now where AI users are coming out and we're seeing this with the younger staff. There may be a time in 20 years time where we expect an AI, you know, uh, analyst or AI user uh, as a series that ends up in most organizations. So um, not to suggest that's happening now, but um, if that were to come across our lap, we would be able to understand how to spread out a series uh, for a particular person of that um, toolkit. So. so help me. We already have, for instance, uh, some principles, right, that have already achieved that level. We already have it. We just don't have a chief, or do we? 
we, we don't have a chief yet. We have one principal designation for the hydrogeologists. We do not have a principal des designation for their en our engineers, our analysts, our, 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 um, and so on. So, Okay. Because I thought I'd seen that title. Yeah. Yeah, and I was kind of split between chief, senior principal. It's, we'll describe the same thing. He, you know, these job descriptions have not been written yet, so they'll be very intentional when describing that level and what's, what expectations are required at that level. Uh, that will be done in close coordination um, through you know, with professionals who do this for a living, uh, such as um, uh, Coffin Associates or Gallagher, who we've used before for class and compensation work. Um, I want to add as well as not just the technical um, side, but also for department management. Um, there we have supervisors, we have managers. One of the ideas here was to make it consistent across the board to have a supervisor and a management level. Will these need to be filled at any given time, all of them? Absolutely not. That's not the intent. Um, instead, it's to describe that we want to be f nimble and flexible for those annual budget discussions for how the changing work, you know, how the work is changing. Um, I mean, we've had uh, this, the, the uh, agency has had, uh, I'll point out, for example, a director of engineering and a director of operations at any given point in time. Um, right now, we're running with a director of engineering and operations, um, and that may, uh, may help support that structure if we have different management and supervision levels underneath those. And so I wanted to provide, again, the flexibility to be able to do what makes the most sense. Um, here, but again, not to um, not to signal that that these will all need to be filled at any given time, if that makes sense. Well, I just really appreciate this because if I'm understanding this right, you're not writing the full script, but you're building the outline so that if you ever want to write the rest of the book, um, we can just kind of fill it in. Um, you've done the backstories and and all of that by having this prepared. My preference is to not shoot from the hip on this stuff and recognize there's a change. Uh, let's say we get a, a high profile retirement or a high profile transfer out, you know, they've got a new job and uh, we want to change how we, you know, run a particular department. We've well, we've thought about the particular types of ways we could structure that in advance. So we've given this ample thought. So we have the, the tools in the toolkit ready to go um, and, uh, and ready to think about. So this is really just to be prepared for change. Um, with a an agency of our size, you know, change makes one, two people leaving makes a, something that's felt across the organization. So, so Adnan, how how much has this been talked within the agency? I'm assuming with senior staff, but uh, how much has this been talked about? How much input have you get, uh, received um, from either the employees or supervisors or? Good question. Um, this was uh, one of those things I wanted to talk to staff about as I was brainstorming, as I was thinking about ways of making improvements and um, durable sort of changes we could make that would set us up for better success, especially given the, 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 the changing times, you know, how, how much change this agency has seen. So I've just discussed this with senior staff. I've talked about it with all hands, um, with all staff. Uh, solicited information or uh, responses. It was under the um, caveat that, hey, I don't have all the best answers and this is brainstorming at this point. Um, and that was what I came to this committee last month with was uh, this is still an, a very, uh, uh, you know, very new and fresh topic. And so I'm handling this in strides here. 
Um, but part of part of what I understand or what I believe and I got good responses to was the need for the flexible options and understanding how to staff, how to um, uh, make sure that we have career advancement opportunity and, and that there's an intentional discussion that's had. But we've got everything in place to have that discussion, if that makes sense. So the way I see this, this isn't just an evolution that's occurring because of what's happening in the agency. This is almost evolving out what's happening in the entire work world and how staffing everywhere is changing, whether it's because of uh, being able to work virtually and all that. that. Isn't that what's kind of pushing all this, just not here at the agency, what we're seeing kind of globally or in a macro way occurring? I think these are interesting times. We've talked about silver tsunamis. We've talked about um, job seekers market. We're seeing the effects of some of that. Um, it is different. Um, it's harder to retain people for longer. Uh, I like to say the world is a bit flatter when it comes to this. Um, you know, people seem to be more willing to relocate, change, remote work opportunities, make things a little more flexible. So the competition for the agency is way more fierce than it may have been historically. And so um, these, are, these are all consistent with um, being prepared to be successful in, that, in the current state of, of the world there with, for, for employers. Um, and it's, it's, not, it's not the whole discussion, but it's definitely part of what I can see as uh, setting us up better for success. Thank you. Okay. Um, I believe that was the last related to additions to the salary schedule um, for existing classifications, spreading out new levels, as well as adding new positions um, uh, consistent with the discussion. So I want to stop there. Last, you know, any questions related to that topic before I move on to the next? Well, I'll just make another comment is sure. that, um, and it flows from the other, it goes into this. We just have to do whatever it takes to make sure that we recruit the best employees that we can get and then retain them. And as I'm just seeing both at the, my organization that I work at, other organizations, and then this one, just how difficult that's becoming. The, the thing that just I'm just shocked is the number of people up here for just a few dollars more will make that commute down the hill. And uh, I, I don't quite understand it. I'm not sure it's worth it in wear and tear on a vehicle and, and, uh, and gas and just the frustration. But people are doing that. And that, that didn't used to occur for just a few dollars more. And um, it just seems like it's changed the game. And I don't know if that's they get more opportunities to work um, virtual and only have to do it once in a while. I, I don't know. But something's changed. And um, I just think it's important that we really look at this to make sure that we're truly competitive because the, um, our competition isn't just local anymore. Thank you. Yes, I agree. Okay, um, so the second topic is related to the pace, uh, the, the merit increases um, that are um, part of our per annual performance evaluation process. So uh, as the board may be aware, each year um, uh, supervisors work with their staff to review goals and their accomplishments over the year uh, results in a score. That score results then in a recommendation for a merit increase. And so that merit increase applies to that individual salary. Um, you know, it can it tends to be kind of in the in, in the in a two to four percent range, let's say, as a as an average. 
And that's budgeted for in our annual process so that we know how uh, salaries would be expected to grow. But um, there is a, there's a bit of a challenge when uh, someone is at the top of their range. Because we participate in PERS, we adopt a salary schedule with a uh, bottom and a top of a range. And um, that's what we pay individuals of that classification. Um, and so one of the issues is if our intent here is to award merit performance uh, and increases to pay across the organization in a consistent manner, independent of where one is within that range, uh, we have a bit of a conflict. Um, so if an employee is at or near the top of their range at this point in time, and a merit increase is awarded, which would take them above the top of that range, they would not be eligible for such compensation. So the concept here is to build to pull, pull in uh, a non-base building compensation element to our uh, pay range. This would add uh, essentially a, a, a new column to the range. Uh, we could call that the max, um, which would define an area where that increase in pay could be made uh, available to that employee for that uh, uh, coming year, but would not build on itself. In other words, it would reset back to the top of one's range. This is a confusing and nuanced topic. So I did a couple of things. I added a couple of slides here um, uh, to try to illustrate that uh, concept. So I'm going to go right into that. Uh, for you math nerds that are listening in, this is not to scale, and it's not re into relative, ac you know, position accuracy. So I, I came up with the, the the illustration before I gave the numbers on the side, but I wanted to provide both a visual and mathematical representation of the concept. So for most employees, they may sit in somewhere in that range. Uh, in this case, let's assume the range goes from eighty thousand to one hundred and twenty thousand. That em employee is compensated at one hundred thousand. Um, if a COLA of, let's say, 2% adjusts the range and their respective salary, they stay relatively in the same position of their salary, of their, um, of their range over here as illustrated to the left. So a 2% adjustment would, would bump the ranges up by 2%, and the employee would get bumped up by 2%. A merit, let's assume that they performed uh, well, and they got a merit increase of 3%. That would then be applied to their base you know, the current rate of 100000 so they would get another $3,000 added to their salary because of merit or performance um, uh, increase, which is what you typically see in one's career, right? They start somewhere, they, um, COLA adjusts them to get paid a set, the same relative amount. It's adjusted for the, you know, the, the value of money uh, or, or purchasing power. Merit increase moves them up that range. Um, so that's advancement. And so next year, the picture looks like uh, all of those uh, added together. So that's what things would look like. But I want to make sure that that's clear and that that example was clear. Okay. So if you're near at the, near or at the top of the range, um, we'll use the same range example: eighty thousand to one twenty. The employees at one twenty. A cola adjusts two percent to one twenty two uh, four hundred. Well, a merit increase assumes the same performance evaluation. They get a 3%. Would well, that merit increase would put them above the top? We can't pay that. That's not part of the range. And so one of the challenges here is uh, what's the value of performance evaluation if it doesn't result in a compensation um, for that employee? 
So that, that's a conflict right now that we currently have. Though the concept here with non-base building uh, compensation is to add a range or add, uh, 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 let's say, 10% to the top of that range, which would represent the non-base building range of that salary range. Um, then they could be compensated for that increase in merit for the year. The following year, that would all calculations would be based off their the top of their range. It would reset back. So this would essentially contain the problem of growth beyond that range in perpetuity. So um, this is the nuance I was talking about. I want to sit here and let that digest, but um, answer any questions related to what I'm trying to explain here. Yeah. On the uh, evaluation, so if I'm understanding it right, I'm not, I don't have an evaluation form in front of me, but the employee would have to, uh, I don't know if it, it goes outstanding, meet standards, uh, exceptional, however, that employee would have to meet that top tier of the evaluation to get the... Yeah. So the, essentially, if one's doing their job, they're doing their job, um, that results in a very little or no merit increase. But if they're doing above their performance expectations for that level uh, and, and goals, then they would be recommended for an increase, right? So that's right. So they'd have to be kind of doing more than what's expected of their level and their classification. Now, the person who writes the evaluation is the of that department, right? It's not, is it, is it roundtabled with other uh, managers or? Uh... Yeah, the, the evaluation itself, the form is standardized across the agency. Uh, the actual evaluation is performed by supervisors themselves. So they're given um, essentially categories to, to score or rate their employees um, based on. And um, it's a pretty typical um evaluation form you'd see in most organizations. And so, yeah, it's, it's while it, the, the form itself is standardized and, and uh, everyone uses the same form for their performance evaluations, the evaluation is conducted by that particular supervisor and reviewed by me in, in when uh, merit increases are um, recommended. Uh, the, the question I see, or the issue I'd see with that would be if an employee... I did not get the merit pay and believe he or she should have gotten that merit pay. Because we're talking about money now, not just a check the box on an evaluation. So it does affect that employee fairly. Uh, the process or, I mean, I could obviously see maybe this might open up. I, I don't have as long a history with the agency. I don't know if we've ever had any concerns related to that. I'm looking at Carrie in case you can provide that context. But we've had a performance evaluation form and this structure in place since Kirby Brill. Um, I don't know when he introduced it. but um... Yeah, I would just input that uh, that's more kind of like an HR-related issue. Um, I have seen some changes come back in the past due to somebody kind of questioning their evaluation. But as far as any specifics to that, I would not be able to right. speak well, to it. I, I get that, but I mean, but now that it's being done, the evaluation affects the person's pay, uh, or pay increases, or just remaining the same. 
that's what my question is. Is there an appeal process for the employee? Does it does buck stop with you on all evaluations? Do they come to you to sign off on everybody's evaluation? Uh, if an employee says, well, I think, general manager, I should have meet that, had that exceed standards, I should be getting that merit pay, what happens then? Yeah, the, and, and that, good question. So I, I just want to be clear that we have had an increase or uh, merit increases related to a performance evaluation for some time. So this is, that's not new here. The only new concept here is for those at the top of the range and how we were to equitably or consistently uh, apply it to them as well it, it, and, and not penalize them, let's say, because they happen to be at the top of their range. But um, to, to answer your question best, uh, this is one of those things um, that, uh, you know, part of the supervisor's job is to work with their employees and define expectations for that role. Um, so this is this this is not just a sort of okay. Let's let's look back and see how you did. Uh, the, the intent of this is to be um, to grow the employee. I get yeah. yes, and work with them about how they want to grow, what they want to you know how how they want to move forward, and then and then using that as a as a tool to sort of judge how they perform towards that goal. And so this is a. While there may be disagreements that happen, absolutely, um, that disagreements tend to be a symptom of lack of communication between a supervisor and staff person. So that in itself is a good indicator of things you can do to improve, um, uh, you know, that that relationship. So, sure. So I appreciate your initial setup in bifurcating this conversation. I completely support uh, what you're looking to do with adding the the track levels. I think that absolutely makes sense. Um, I don't agree with this component. A little more than, you know, to contextualize my comment, a little more than a year ago, uh, we went through a fairly exhaustive evaluation of ranges, class, comp, all of that. And we awarded a half a million dollars that was retroactive in pay increases to the employees. One of the things we did in that action was we removed this provision from the personnel manual. Um, and that, to me, was part of the, the give and the take in that conversation. Uh, if the top of the range is the top of the range, then that should be it. We should not exceed the top of the range for any reason. If the, if the range needs to be modified, then let's modify the range. But the top is the top. And we had some very hearty conversations during that time period where the, the board voted to remove that provision and the new personnel rules were adopted you know, thereafter that included, that did not include this provision any longer. Um, I would like for us to slow down on this conversation. Um, I, I absolutely agree with the first portion of this presentation, moving that forward to the board. Um, but this is the first time this committee has seen and discussed reintroducing this non-compounding bonus. Uh, that's not part of the personnel rules right now. Um, any evaluations that have been done should, should not include a provision that doesn't exist. Um, so th those are my comments. I'm one of seven, but I feel, you know, 
having the history in this conversation and, and what we did in the recent past um, to bring the employees up to um, a market standard, um, I think were, was appropriate. And to reintroduce this at this point, I think it needs a little more discussion. But your your technical path, your staffing concepts are absolutely superb, and I think it gives a tremendous amount of growth potential as well as recruitment incentivization for for the agency. So I would respectfully request that we separate these two discussions and move the one forward to the board. Well, I'm going to jump in on that. I really appreciate um, this discussion. I know we still have more and really appreciate our general manager and having the uh, the back of the employees and, and bring this to our uh, attention. So my question is, and I could probably answer this for myself, um, Director Cox brings up a great point about um, that we need to modify. Um, again, I know I pretty well know the answer, but I want to hear from, from you, Adnan. Why haven't we done a supplemental modification if we saw this coming? Um, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, and I think it's a pretty simple answer. It's probably we don't have enough, haven't had enough time, but I want to hear it from you. Um, as we saw this coming, was there a chance to modify it? Uh, do something in the structure, come before the board that, hey, we got a problem here? So um, I... I you know, I, I did my research. I did look into what we had before. Um, uh, while I, I hear and appreciate um, Director Cox, your um, your your background on uh, you know sort of the reason for the the package, the uh, market adjustment for classifications that resulted in quite a bit, a substantial jump for many positions, and I recognize that. That's um, that's you know a good move to do if we recognize that we're below market on those positions that were competitive. Um, I, I frankly didn't see quite the connection between that adjustment and this particular issue trying to be addressed here, which is to ensure that um, I want to incentivize employees in a similar fashion across the board to perform. If, um, if there's no incentive to perform, they can, they're essentially incentivized to just produce at the minimum expected for that level. Um, there's no reason to perform more. And um, that's, a, in my opinion, a bad precedent to set and something I want to avoid as much as possible. Um, and so hence the reason why um, the, 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 the recommendation here to um, sort of reintroduce that not maximum non-compounding. Um, there are may, maybe other ways to do the same thing, but I was looking at probably the most a consistent way to apply a merit increase across the board that was sort of independent of where you were in a particular um, range. So I, I do appreciate that this is, and, and you are absolutely true, this is, a, this is new. We're hearing this for the first time today, at least under this context. Um, so I understand um, uh, the request to slow down and, and have further conversation. The reason why it was brought into this item was because both of these items included in this recommendation include a salary schedule adjustment or a modification. And so um, uh, in an effort to, to have that be, uh, you know, reduce time associated with uh, the, the action items we take, 
I wanted to discuss them both now and to start that conversation in case there was interest in moving this forward. Um, but yeah, I'm just curious, uh, any more um, thoughts or, or responses to, to this? There is one more slide before um, I, that may be helpful to paint this whole picture. Because I thought I'd looked previously. Does it show what the cost would be this year if we did this? No, it doesn't. Um, and I don't know that off the top of my head, but we're talking maybe, you know, two to 3% for maybe two, three, four employees maximum. I'm what are we talking? 25,000, 50,000, a hundred thousand? Less than 50. Yeah. It's a, I don't know the exact number, but it's not a significant amount by any means. So it's not a significant amount, but then I'm hearing director Cox and this may not be exactly what she said, how I'm going to frame it, but it's on. It's based on the principle of what we had decided before. That's where the right. the, the tension lies in, the, in this uh, discussion. Okay, well, let's... It, unless... needs more, it needs more conversation than a one and done. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, was, it was months of conversation with the, the increased changes and... All of that, and everyone on staff got, you know, a, a generous bump at that time. So now we're hearing there's more. Um, so I, I would respectfully request that we bifurcate this conversation. Definitely move forward the, the technical track. I, I just think that's superb. But we need to slow down and revisit history. And I personally want to go back and listen to those board conversations to refresh my memory on why we wanted to redact this particular policy and uh, what, what that conversation was. So um, I don't see any rush on that. Uh, the other has recruitment potential, which I think we need to remain competitive. Well, let's go to that next slide unless Rick has something. And let's finish that last slide. I know I have a nice. few comments. Yeah, just to round off this conversation. So there was, I think there was someone had made mention to um, a corresponding adjustment to the personnel policies and procedures. So it's recommended to add this back associated with the concept I was just describing, which was a description of what what's called a non-base building compensation element. Um, I'll read this really briefly. If a merit increase applied to an employee's pay pursuant to the performance eval process described under an earlier section results in pay above the top of their range, that employee may be eligible to receive that on-base building compensation. Uh, any portion of this in increase in pay that takes the employee's pay above that top of the range is temporary and does not add to the employee's continuing regular pay. Um, any merit increase applied to employees shall be based on at most the top of that range. Um, under no circumstances would they be uh, eligible for compensation beyond the max, which is the nomenclature used in this uh, proposed uh, modification. So that wraps it up. Um, I will read this, but I, I think Georg Kramer from uh, Gallagher may be with us. Um, I asked if he could be available in case there was further discussion or curiosity related to, you know, is this unique to the agency? Um, do others do it? Um, this way, or even on the part one, right, related to the staffing um, concepts themselves. So uh, thank you, Georg, for being here. Um, and um, so please use either myself or Georg at your disposal for the discussion. So I'll read this. Um, staff requests the committee review the item and recommend forward in the board for approval of the following. 
Staff recommends the board directors approve the updated personnel policies and procedures and the updated employee pay schedule for fiscal year 23-24, effective July 1st, 2023. Um, you mentioned Georg. Does he want to say something? Does he want to add to any of this discussion this I, morning? I'll leave it to Georg if he wants to, but I, I, he he was going to make himself available for discussion if there were particular questions. Um, okay. This was, you know, this did some of this, especially part two of this discussion, and something that you, we haven't discussed in committee yet. So, um, if that if there was any interest in more conversation related to that now, um, both he and I are available. Not appear to be any. So I, I'm, I'm torn on, um, on this. Uh, Director Cox has some um, great comments about slowing down. Um, but I'm also wondering what the rest of the board may say. But it's got to get out of committee first, and I'm just one vote. So um, I need to hear what my colleagues on the board say if we're going to send this on for the board for a larger what I would call a global discussion, or if we are going to shut it down here for a discussion back at this committee um, at a later date. So I need I need to hear from you guys. Um, it sounds like, Rick, you are going to probably be the deciding <laughs> vote on this. Not to put you on the spot, but... Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Other option, I could pre prepare two action or recommendations or, uh, you know, phrasings of the action item itself so that... If there is a desire to take one, part one alone and um, wait on part two, that way we don't lose that part and have to see it again. Okay. Um, let me, or, uh, let me, yeah. I think I could probably solve the issue here. So I, 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 I get it with mm -hmm. this, um, mm -hmm. the evaluation based merit. Uh, there are some issues, and, uh, you know, Director Cox brought up some good points, and, uh, but I think we should just move it forward. The, if, like we mentioned, we're only 107. I'd like to see what the rest of the board has to say. Uh, it's not a, a deal breaker to move it forward. A lot of time and effort is put into this, a lot of thought. Um, have some good ideas for organizational development, organizational management. <clears throat> so I say just move it forward. The full thing, the not whole, the whole thing. Not yeah. cut apart as just, and then see what the rest of the board has to say with it. Well, I would. I I like your idea, Adnan, that you would kind of give us uh, bifurcated options for approval. So it's not just a yes or no for both items. <clears throat> can that still be done at this late date? Well, I can provide uh, language for you to read off to take a motion on. Okay. For example, and then um, sort of see where that goes from there. Okay. So my understanding is this is going to the full board on Thursday. Did I hear that correctly? Okay. Okay. Then uh, we are done for this moment, and uh, we're almost going to get you out of here uh, within an hour. And uh, so now we're moving on, if everyone's good with this, to uh, public participation. Cleo, is there anyone that is wanting to participate at this time? Not at this time. Okay. So now we're on to the general manager's report. Nothing additional to report, thank you. Okay. Items for next or future agendas? Nothing. Nothing, okay. Nope. Um, we are adjourned. Thank you, everybody.
See everyone on Thursday. Um, so, yeah. I'm, I'm going to turn these off.